0: have any predictions for 2019? Got any predictions for the new year? Got any sports predictions? Got any stock market predictions? Got any weather prediction? Got, got any political predictions? Got any predictions about the pastor skipping across the stage again, you yeah. Any predictions you have for this year? Rex Hupka, I hope I'm saying his name right, uh, is a Journalist with the Chicago Tribune, he penned some intriguing New Year predictions. I'm just going to pull out a couple of them. Uh, Here is the first. After successfully infiltrating every aspect of our digital lives and using the Amazon Echo to monitor our grocery list, music choices, and quite possibly every word we say, online retailer Amazon will cut out the incremental nonsense and just open a store in the living room of every home in America. This prediction. Don't worry though, the store construction will happen while you're out of the house. Amazon always knows when you're out of the house. And the only disruptions will be the restocking drones that enter and exit your home through a window that must remain open at all times. It's probably not far off with that prediction. That, that could really happen. It's one of his other predictions. It, it hurts me a little bit, but it's still nice. After years of messaging up del- Messing up deliciously normal dishes like hamburgers and macaroni and cheese by adding weird ingredients like pheasant or gold dust or artisanal goat cheese crostini crumbles, foodies will finally receive the public disdain they deserve. It hurts for me. This hurts, but but it's good. The days of food trucks doling out gruyere-topped Mongolian skirt steak wraps topped with truffle mayonnaise and served inside nitrogen-filled balloons will be over. A grilled cheese sandwich will return to just being a grilled cheese sandwich. Fries will be served with table salt and ketchup and nothing else. Anyone who suggests making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich using brioche, hand-smashed almond spread, and raspberry sage compote will be treated as a social pariah. Order will return to our world. I kind of like all that stuff, you know, especially the pheasant mac and cheese. Man, I'm going after that. Order returning to the world. That'd be nice for 2019, right? I mean, that that sounds like a pretty good one, to have a, a little bit of order returning to things. Wouldn't it be nice for it to return to more than just the peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Wouldn't it be nice to have a little more order at home, a little more order at work, a little more order at school, a little more order in our nation's capital? Wouldn't it be nice to have a little more order? Wouldn't it be nice to have a little more order in our attitude and our emotions and our finances and our health? Would it be nice to have just a, a little more order in our lives? About 700 years before Jesus was living, there was a nation. And that nation was full of people that were longing that somebody would give them a New Year prediction of some type of good news, something that would bring some order into their lives. Not order from just an organizational standpoint, but the kind of order that brought community into their lives. The kind of order that would bring hope and peace and happiness into their lives. That's what they were longing for. They were really desperate for that. But that nation of people, they didn't get any predictions like that. They got something better. They got Promises, Not predictions, but promises. And not just any promises, but guaranteed promises. Guaranteed hope, guaranteed peace, guaranteed happiness. And what if I were to tell you that the same guaranteed hope and peace and happiness that they got is available to you right now? And not just right now but tomorrow and the next day and 2019 and 2020 and all the days of your lives? How is that promise? How are those guarantees possible? Let's see if we can find out. Isaiah 52, verse 8. Isaiah writes, Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together. In ancient times, a city would have watchtowers with watchmen, and those watchmen were supposed to look out on the horizon, look at the mountains, see what's coming that way. They were supposed to give news alerts to the people, the good news and the bad news. And bad news was coming. The Babylonians were coming, and they were going to conquer the nation. The people were going to be forced out of their homes. They were going to be forced into a foreign land. They were going to be political prisoners in this foreign land. The bad news was coming. And that bad news was going to last for decades. Decades. A decade is 10 years. If we're honest, we don't want bad news to last 10 minutes. You know, we we want it come and gone. We don't want it around. We want things to go well with us. We want to be comfortable. We want to be free from conflicts and problems and difficulties. We want every wedding anniversary to feel like the wedding ceremony. We want all the kids and all the grandkids to get good educations and good jobs and get a nice home in a nice neighborhood. We want every job to offer every benefit and give us double overtime pay on Arbor Day. Man, we, we want it all. If we're really honest, we want every car to never need a mechanic. We want every house to never need a roof. We want every sickness to never need a hospital. We want every politician to always vote our way. We want every pastor to meet all of our expectations. We want every coach to win us a championship every year. If we're honest, this is how we think. This is how we are. But life is tough, and life is hard, and life is full of bad news. We may not want discouragement. We may not want depression. We may not want darkness. We may not want difficulty. We may not want defeat. But it'll come because that's just how life is. So what we need is not the prediction of potential good news. That's not what we need when life is hard. We don't need predictions about potential good news. We need promises about actual good news, the the real thing. The people, they did not need the watchman to say, "Eh, maybe something good is coming on the horizon. Maybe something good is coming over the mountain. No, they needed actual good news. They were defeated. They were down. They were living in darkness and difficulty. They wanted some kind of news to come to them to say they were not going to be political prisoners for the rest of their lives that that was not going to be a defining part of their identity. And Isaiah is foretelling that good news. He's foretelling it. He's not predicting it. He's not saying, well, you know, some, some moisture is going to be coming up from the east, and, and it's going to push everything off to the south, and, and then when it gets to high altitudes, it's going to crystallize, and, and the Babylonians' power, it's, it's just going to stall, and, and y'all are going to have what we call positive thinking then. That's not what they were looking for, and that's not what he's bringing. Isaiah, by the power and the authority of God, is saying there would be good news. Good news was going to happen. And what kind of good news? Listen to the next part of verse 8. For they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. The watchmen weren't going to get a memo that something was going to happen. They were going to see it with their own eyes. They were going to see it face to face. They were going to be facing this amazing good news. And what was the good news? Well, practically and historically, Cyrus was going to come and, and he was going to defeat the Babylonians. And he was going to allow those political prisoners, those Jewish people to come back home. And he was going to help them rebuild their lives. So the good news was coming. That was super great, fantastic news. The guaranteed promises of peace and happiness and hope, they were coming. They were just around the corner. How could they be so sure that those things were true? Maybe Isaiah's just given a New Year prediction. Maybe he's just offering some wishful thinking. How would they know that they could believe in these promises? But don't miss those four words right there. When the Lord restores God himself was going to do this God was going to restore he was going to rebuild he was going to refresh he was going to to revive them God was going to do it how did they know I mean maybe God really wasn't going to do it I mean after all I mean it had been decades and God wasn't doing anything I mean, after after 70 years of being political prisoners, why should they believe this prediction promise from Isaiah? Why should they believe that what he foretold was true? Well, they should believe it because God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. How do we know that? There's a man named Job. We don't know exactly when he lived, probably sometime between Noah and Moses. And Job had some some swag. I mean, he had some stuff. He had seven sons, three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep. He had 3,000 camels. He had 500 oxen. He had 500 donkeys. And he had a lot of servants. I mean, a lot of servants. And then all in in one day, three of his servants seemed to come to him one after another to tell him that he had lost all of it, all of it. He only had three of his many servants left. He lost 11,000 animals. His seven sons were dead. His three daughters were dead. He lost everything, almost in a blink, everything that was important to him. And how did he respond? Well, his remaining servants and his wife, they, they heard him through his devastated heart. They heard him say this. Job 1, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If we use Paul's language to the Corinthians, Job was afflicted, but he was not crushed. He was perplexed, but he was not despairing. He was persecuted, but he was not forsaken. He was struck down, but he was not destroyed. Why? Because he knew he could still trust in God. He knew God always keeps his promises. How do you know that? Sometime later, after he lost everything, Job said this. With him are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understanding. In other words, Job's saying, look, I don't know what's going on, but he does. I don't always have all the understanding. I don't have all the wisdom. I don't have all the counsel. I don't have all the advice, but he does. I was talking to someone on the phone this week, and and we were both sharing about how we call our dads for everything. <laughs> like, you know, we, we just think our dads know everything in life, you know. Which is a bummer because I don't know everything in life. So, you know, my kids should never call me. Um, but, but, you know, we, we were just talking about how, how much we, we depend on them and their wisdom and their knowledge. And yet our dads know squat when it comes to the universe and the kingdom. But God knows everything, all understanding, all wisdom, all counsel, all advice. Job knew that. He knew it. Troya Newbell writes this, Job isn't thinking about how he feels at the moment or even his current circumstances, though there is no problem with considering those things. Instead, Job realizes that in order to minister to his own heart, he must remember the character of God, who God is, and why he can be trusted. Job doesn't ignore his pain, but he does remember his king. He remembers his king, and he remembers that his king can be trusted because his king always keeps his promises. Always. Now, does God keep his promises on our timetable? Does God keep his promises within the decade that we want him to keep his promises? No. No, that doesn't always happen. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God's time is not our time. His calendar is not our calendar. Moses said this in Psalm 90, Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then he says this, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday, when it passes by are as a watch in the night. Our lives are 70, 80, 90 decades maybe. But God is is eternal. He He has no time constraints. John Piper says this about God's time. Since he is immortal and does not age and does not forget and sees all history at a glance and is never bored, clearly, he does not experience time like we do. God can be trusted because his promises are always on time. He always keeps his promises. Not always on our time, but he he keeps his promises. God promised Abraham a nation, and that promise was fulfilled 400 years later. God promised Sarah she would have a baby, and she did 25 years later. God promised the the Babylonians that they would be, I mean, the, the Jewish people, they'd be free from the Babylonians, and they were 70 years later. God made a promise to Moses and David and others throughout the Old Testament that that there was going to be a Messiah, and there was 2,000 years later. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit was coming, and the Spirit did come two months later. What's the calendar in your story? What's that thing that you were waiting to happen, and, and it took a long time before it happened? I heard a great story this week of a a man's older father who just came to faith in Christ a few years ago. And I just kind of sat there and went, ah, man, God, you just still save. Like, there's no age where you stop saving. God always keeps his promises, but not always on our time. So, does he need help? I mean, is he off with something? I mean, does God need to to sync his clock with the, you know, the one at the naval observatory? I mean, does he need to get this thing on mark? Peter was writing to suffering Christians, and this is what he said. But do not let this one fact escape your notice. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. And then he says this, the Lord is not slow. About his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We see God's lack of slowness most perfectly in Jesus. At just the right moment in history, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, at just the right moment in history. Jesus was crucified for the sin of the world just as it was foretold. At just the right moment in history, Jesus was raised from the dead just as it was foretold. And at just the right moment, Jesus is going to come back to the earth to make all things new and all things right for good forever just as it has been foretold. So, Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Are you ready for his return? Are things right between you and God? Have you repented of your sin? Have you received his salvation? Are you believing in and relying on and trusting in and clinging to Jesus as your first and only source of hope for life and life after you breathe your last breath? Are you ready for Jesus now? Are you right with God today? Jesus is no hopeful political candidate seeking election. He's already been elected. He's already in office. I can't present Jesus to you today like this. Ladies and gentlemen, the next president of the world. I can't do that because He already is. He is the king of all kings. He's the lord of all lords. This is who he is. If he's not, if he's not, then we should not be here. We should be at Waffle House drinking coffee and talking sports and politics because Holland Avenue Baptist Church has a false religion. But we're not at a Waffle House. We're not talking sports and politics. We're not drinking coffee. We're here because we have come to know by grace through faith, we have come to know the one that we believe in. And we are confident, beyond confident, that he is able to keep and hold on to and bring us to him because of what we've committed to him, and that is our souls. We've committed ourselves to So, we're not here for a fairy tale today. We're not here to be religious. We are here because the one true God of the universe has made himself known through Jesus. And he rescues and redeems, he saves. Isaiah was writing to the people, and he was telling them that there was a time coming when the watchmen were going to lose their minds. Because good news was actually coming. The promises were actually coming. Listen, if you're a believer, if you are in Christ, please know that that all the promises of God are found in Jesus and all those promises are yours now. They're they're yours. There's no way that can be taken away. And there have always been watchmen (laughs) telling of the good news always watchmen telling that some good news was coming over the mountain the words are on the screen let's let's just sing it together it's kind of fun y'all sing with me right go tell it on the mountain over the hill and everywhere Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Good news. Coming over the mountain, over and over, decade after decade. Listen again to Isaiah 52, eight. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. All right, fast forward about 700 years. Listen to this scene. And the shepherds, they went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. And then, and then fast forward a little more. Revelation. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Remember how we said a, a few moments ago that, man, it'd be great if there was just a little more order in the world. A little more order at home. A little more order at work, at school. A little more order in the community. A little more... Order in Washington, D.C. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a a little more order? Listen, I want you to know that, that the order of all orders, that there is no greater order in the universe than what we find in the beauty and the power and the majesty and the authority and the grace and the mercy and the love and the salvation and the kingdom of Jesus Christ the Messiah. All the order is in Him. All the beauty is in him. All the power is in him. All the hope is in him. All the peace is in him. All the happiness is in him. Revelation 22 says this There will no longer be any curse, no curse. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and they will see His face. The best and only way for you to face your new year is to face it with Jesus Christ. That's it. The ongoing ever always powerful, ever always loving, grace and mercy and power and authority of Jesus, his face and only his face is the only way you'll find your greatest joy in 2019 and beyond. So how can we set that down and into real life just a little bit? How can we shout joyfully that the beauty of the good news of Jesus is ours even when we feel like we are in a cloud of bad news? How can the hope of the gospel capture us in the middle of darkness and difficulty? Well, it's all because of how we face things. Elisa, I think I'm saying her right name, um, Childers. Alisa Childers is a singer, songwriter, a theology blogger. A few months ago, she wrote a book review on a book called Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. It's a great title. This is what she said about Rachel Hollis. She's beautiful, smart, ambitious, funny, and a crazy good writer. The girl can tell a story that will have you crying one minute and shooting Diet Coke out of your nose the next. That's good. <laughs> Every now and then it's good to do that when you read a book, you know, to be able to laugh hard—it's It's a good thing. Childers goes on to note how the trials and tragedies that Hollis faced in life and growing up kind of shaped her life and, and the way that she challenges and encourages people. But she also raises a, a little red flag about kind of a, a theme that was throughout the book, and it's the theme of discrediting sin and crediting self-love. And, and really, that's a, it's a dangerous thing. You don't want to discredit sin and, and credit Love, or self-love. Why? Well, you do not have enough in you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and wash your face off enough to make yourself right with God. You can't do it on your own. See, what makes the gospel so grand and so great and so glorious is the news and the reality that in Christ and only in Christ, we can be made right with God. We can have peace with God. We can have hope with God. We can have happiness in our soul, but only, only through Christ. This is what Childers says. We used to be at peace with sin. Now we're at peace with God. Declared righteous in his sight, but there's more. We're not just acquitted, we're adopted, adopted by God himself. And then she says this that means I'm not a failure, even if I never lose the baby weight. She says, My baby's seven, so don't judge me. She goes on, that means I'm not a failure, even if I never successfully complete a diet. Even if I have a bad day and yell at my kids, even if I never reach my financial goals or climb the ladder at my dream job, even if my life consists of nothing more than living in quiet and humble service to the God of glory. It's good. Let me ask you a question. How have you defined success and failure in 2018? When have you beat yourself up and praised yourself? What did it look like? And how are you set to define success and failure in 2019? If you've been adopted by God Himself, then please know right now you are swimming in success. Swimming in success. Why? Well, the old hymn says sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. You will have an immensely successful 2019. If you can honestly and truthfully sing your soul to sleep every night with these three words, four words, Jesus paid it all. All. The richest and purest form of success is that. Childers goes on to say this. And I think, I think it's important to always balance book reviews. So she shared the positive, but, but I think this is good. Reading Girl, Wash Your Face exhausted me. It's all about what I can be doing better and what I'm not doing well enough. How to be better at work, better at parenting, better at writing, how to be less bad at, you know, changing the world but grasping the good news of who i am in christ and nothing else that is what brings true rest so rest from striving my friend and she says this yes wash your face (laughs) take care of yourself make good choices but know who you are in christ jesus If you let this truth become the foundation of how you see the world, you'll be content to glorify Him in every situation, whether cleaning bathrooms or relaxing at your beach home, changing diapers, or crushing your career goals. Can you get that truth for 2019? Because it's the truth, not just for this year, but for all the days of your life. How can you face your new year with joy? How can you face your new year with peace? How can you face your new year with hope? How can you face your new year with happiness? Here's how. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. Christ.